The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. You have a copy of God's Word. Would you join me this morning? Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. As you find your way there, we do rejoice this morning in the goodness of our Lord um, towards Taylor and Abigail and towards our church family and the, the birth of baby Eli. It is a dangerous thing to name a boy that. Um, but we rejoice with them and all seem to be doing, doing well. We praise the Lord for His goodness to us over the last few weeks um, as he's, he's added um, a couple of, of brand new baby boys um, to our family here. Hebrews chapter 10, you would look with me starting in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities... It can never. By the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would, uh, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices... There is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time, a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies shall be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Well, as we have been working together now through the book of Hebrews, our focus over the last number of months, and it is the, the primary focus of the book of Hebrews, is on the, the exploration of Christ's role as high priest. It is the primary book in, in all of the Bible, which um, more thoroughly and clearly explores the idea of Jesus as priest than, than any other. This is a 
a Hebrew, a Jew, a Jewish believer, we're not sure who the author was, a Jewish believer writing to Jews, writing to Hebrews to show them the excellencies of Jesus Christ, the supremacy of Jesus over um, Judaism and, and all of the, the requirements and the ceremonies and the, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, Old Covenant system. That's the, the whole point of the book. And so what the writer of Hebrews has been doing now for um, about three chapters is um, showing the, the, the ministry, the, the role of Christ as high priest held up against the ministry and the roles of Old Testament priests to show that Jesus is superior. And so we've, we've been exploring this over and over again. Um, that uh, last week, and, and just sort of this, this crescendo, that, that Jesus' blood, the blood of Jesus, is far more superior than the blood of the sacrifices made um, by these priests. And what the writer of Hebrews is showing us is that there is now, because of Christ and because of His better sacrifice, that there is now a new covenant, a new way of relating with God that has been brought about through Christ's sacrifice. Sacrifice that supersedes the old covenant based on the law. And so the great call of the book of Hebrews is because of Jesus, because of who He is, because of what He's done, because of what He's accomplished for you, don't turn back to your old ways. That's the undercurrent of these verses. But these verses in particular show us something else. And so here's what we're going to see this morning in these verses. We're going to see a series of contrasts that show a sanctification confirmed that results in a sanctification continued. You're a note taker. There's your three points this morning as we work through. A series of contrasts, a sanctification confirmed, and a sanctification continued. That's the, the flow of these verses. So let's begin by walking through these verses and taking note of the numerous contrasts that the writer of Hebrews lays out to see what it is they teach us about sanctification. That's so what's in view here is what an offering produces for us, what a sacrifice produces for us, namely sanctification, and how Christ's sacrifice is better, and he shows it through these contrasts. The first contrast we see is the contrast of the law as a shadow versus the true form of realities. You see this contrast right in the beginning of chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities. That there is a contrast between the law as shadow and the true form of the heavenly things. That's, that's the, the true form of these realities. These realities are that Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting Him. That's the, that's the true form. That there is a true form of a tabernacle in heaven. There is a true high priest there in Jesus Christ. There is a, a true sacrifice there in His body. And that those are the true realities, the true forms and that the law is but a shadow 
of these things. You see, the greatest need for all of humanity, and this includes me and this includes you, our greatest need is to be in the presence of God. That's our greatest need. We were created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, to, to dwell with Him, to abide with Him, to live with Him in, in communion, in harmony. That's, that, that is the nature of our very being, of our creation, to be in the presence of God. But while that is our greatest need, our greatest problem keeps us from the presence of God. Because our greatest problem is God's anger against sinners. And if, if we as sinners are left in our state of rebellion against God, that God has laid out for us the way we are to live, laid out for us the way we are to relate to Him, shown us through a number of things that, that He is the authority, He is the Creator, He is the one that makes the commands and the demands upon us. And we, because of a, of a sinful heart, reject His authority, break His commands, and, and set out to live in our own way. We, therefore, fall under the anger of God towards both sin and the sinner. Our greatest need is to be in His presence. But our greatest problem is that He is a holy and just God. And He has anger towards sin and the sinner. And so we are kept from His presence. This, this, this idea is what the whole of the Old Testament tabernacle and, and uh, sacrificial system that we've been, we've been walking through for weeks now, it's what it, it shows us. This is pictured so clearly in the Old Testament sacrificial system that there really was no way for the people to come into the presence of God. There was no way. So what happened? What did God institute? God instituted that on one day, that one man on the Day of Atonement, that it was only the high priest who could come into the presence of God. He was the only one. Everyone else was left outside of the presence of God. And, and instead, these substitutes in our place in the form of these animals would, would go into the presence of God. Because we couldn't. Because God is holy and we are sinful. And so these, these tabernacles and these sacrificial systems and this role of a high priest and these people who are on these outer um, courts <coughs> all show us, illustrate for us, are a picture for us of our, our greatest need and our greatest problem they are shadows of true realities. They are not the realities in and of themselves. They're shadows. Now think about a, a shadow for a second. What is a shadow and what do they do? Well, a shadow, in its, in its just basic understanding are representations of something, right? Your, your shadow is a representation of you. If you, you know, catch the sun just right and it casts your shadow on the pavement below you, you can turn and look and see a representation of your body there on the ground. They are representations. They are forms but they lack real substance. They may show us something, 
but they don't have any substance to them at all, right? This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying that the law was. That the law was there to show us some things, to represent some things. But in the law, there really was no true substance of those things. That the law was just a, sh- a shadow, a type. The, the word used here for, for shadow is a, is a pale shadow. It, 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 it literally means a shadow, but not even a very distinct one. Just kind of a, a rough, pale outline. It could be understood as a rough sketch or a shaky outline. Compared against a beautifully drawn picture filled in with all the vibrant colors, all the exact representations and images of a thing. You see, the shadow is held up against the true form, the real thing. A complete representation. It is the substance that casts the shadow. The thing that the shadow represented, the thing that the law represents for us, is the work of Christ. And that work that He does and has done on our behalf. The law was never meant to be the substance It was always just a shadow. Now, we read that and we think, okay, sure. You know, the law was a shadow, not the substance. That's fine. But remember, to these brothers and sisters, the law had become the substance. It had become the substance. It had become the main thing. The law is a, a shadow. It's not the true form. It's there to show us some things and to represent some things, but it's never meant to be the thing that we live for. So what is it that it's it's showing us? What is it that it, it represents? And that we see here in another contrast. That the law could never make perfect Versus Christ who has perfected. The law is a shadow, not the true form. Because the law could never make perfect. Christ, He is the true form because He has perfected. This is the main point of the text. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities... It can never, the law, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. It can't do it. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that all of these sacrifices, all of these different sacrifices that are offered year after year after year after year, they could never produce perfection. They couldn't do it. And I love the argument that the writer of Hebrews is making here. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, just use your brains and think rationally about this. Because if they did make you perfect, then why would you have to keep doing them over and over and over again? The very fact that built up in the law is the repetition of these sacrifices shows us the inadequacy of them to make us perfect. If you remember a few weeks ago, we've talked about this idea of perfection. I believe this word's used 14 times in the book of 
Hebrews. And one of the best ways to understand this idea of perfection is for us to have access to God. In order for us to be in his presence and to have access to God, we have to be perfect because he is perfect. We have to be holy because he is holy. When we, we use the language of perfection, we're, we're using language of, of now we have the ability to come into his presence. What the law could never do was produce for us a full access to God. It could never do it because it lacked the ability to perfect us. It lacks the ability to take away sins. That's his point. Your greatest need is to be in the presence of God and your greatest problem is your sin. And the law solved neither one of those problems. It did not meet your greatest need. You weren't allowed in. And it did not take away your sin because we had to offer them over and over and over again. And so maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, then why in the world did God go through all of the trouble to institute this stuff anyway? I mean, why did God give this to Moses? Why did God tell them to do these things? If, if they never fully accomplished the thing that they were set out to do, why would God even do that? That's a, that's a, that's a great question. And I believe that the reason is because the law and the, shadow and the uh, sacrificial systems were to serve us as a shadow. Well, to serve us as a, as a representation of something better. So what do we learn in the law and in this sacrificial system? What, what do we learn? Well, there's a lot that we can learn. I'm grateful for uh, Brother Jacob to, to teach us that during our, our worship time. Um, and, and y'all, please do call him Brother Jacob from now on. He really likes that. <laughs> um, I think there's, there's, there's a number of things that it teaches us, but there's three in particular. And the first thing that it, it, sh- it should show us, and it should have showed them, is that there exists the possibility of forgiveness. What the law shows us is that there is perhaps, maybe, a way to be forgiven. So you're telling me there's a chance. And that comes through the shedding of blood. Remember, that was, that was in that, that bloody sermon we preached last week. What's the law show us? The law shows us that there there is perhaps the possibility of of forgiveness. And God didn't have to do any of this. He He would have been right and just and holy to say, I tried it with you two, and then you had some children, and one killed the other. And this thing is is going crazy. I'm just going to wipe you all out and start all over. But instead, in His grace, according to His loving kindness, to know there exists the opportunity for forgiveness. There exists the opportunity for redemption. And it's found in in a payment for sin. There will be one eventually who will come and make that payment. The second thing it shows us is that these sacrifices were never enough. That's his point here. These were never enough. It shows us that there exists the possibility of your sins to be forgiven. But it also shows us that these sacrifices of bulls and goats, they were never enough. And so that should leave the, the reader wondering, Well, if there exists the possibility of forgiveness, and if these bulls and goats that are are sacrificed to the Lord never really brought forgiveness because they had to be offered over and over again, 
then where is the sacrifice that brings forgiveness? That should be the question they're asking. That should be the question we're asking. And the third thing, the reason why the law was given was to point to the one that would ultimately be the sacrifice that would forgive sins. Jesus Christ. That there is in Him a, a true salvation that would come through death. There exists the possibility of forgiveness. That forgiveness comes through death and the death of these, these animals were never enough. And so there must be one who will come who can actually take away sins. And this is the contrast here. The law and all of these rites and all of these rituals and all of these ceremonies and all of these sacrifices and all of this blood and all of these animals, all of these things, they're shadows, there's no substance there, there's nothing in them that actually forgives your sin. But they're all pointing to a better sacrifice. While they can never make you perfect, Christ can make you perfect. All of this is held up against Christ, who is the, the substance of the shadow, verse 5. Consequently, now this, is, this is like, this is contrasting language. You have the, the sacrificial system that could never do these things. But consequently, in contrast, when Christ came into the world, He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now that's a quote from Psalm 40. And you should be asking a question. Wait a minute. Psalm 40 is a psalm of David. It was David who said this, not Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says, when Christ came into the world, he said these things. And so how, how, how can he say Christ said these things if it was David who said these things? It's a really good question. There's a number of you know, theological um, arguments to, to attempt to make sense of this. Some of them is that, that David is a, as a type and a shadow of Christ. As, a, as king, as benevolent ruler of his people, as Christ is the king of kings. There's loads of things. Um, but here's what I would say. All of the word of God, Old and New Testament, is the word of Christ. He is the word. There's no, there's no distinction here. This, is, this, is, this radically changes the way we should understand the Old Testament. There's no distinction here. They're the words of Christ. So do me a favor. Don't say or believe or buy into this. I'm, I'll tell you what I am. I'm a red-letter Christian. It's just in red letters. It's just what Jesus said. If Jesus didn't say it. Jesus didn't say it. Paul said it. I ain't, I ain't got to do it. No. It's all the word of, of Christ. So this is, a, this is a quotation from Psalm 40. And what Psalm 40 tells us, and this is back in the system itself. This is not outside of the system. This is in the system. What Psalm 40 tells us is that God never desired the outward rituals. That was never His desire. What God has always wanted is our hearts. He's always wanted our Devotion. These outward rituals, these sacrifices were supposed to be a means for inward renewal. To come before a holy God in acknowledgement of our sin, pleading for His grace, um, acknowledging coming under His authority, obeying His laws, keeping His covenants. This is what these sacrifices were supposed to represent. Um, inward renewal. But guess what? We are, the whole lot of us, a bunch of no good sinners. And Israel couldn't get it right. 
And they took what should have produced in them faith in a God that forgives. They took what should have been a reminder for them over and over and over again that I am sinful, but God is gracious to make a way. And they took it and they turned this this shadow into a substitute for faith. And we will just do these ritualistic things and that, that's enough to appease God. When what God always wanted is our faith. What was supposed to be a means. To build our faith became a substitute for our faith. And church, I don't think that Israel is the only one guilty of that. I think our churches, if we're not careful, our own very lives can be ones that are marked by people who are substituting a whole host of things. Primarily, membership, service, and a church. But our our service to God is never meant to be a substitute for our faith in God. Our outward religious practices were never meant to be the me, the, the, the end. I, we do that and that's enough and God is pleased. I've done my duty. No, they're to be a means to build in us a deep faith, a deep affection, a deep love, a deep obedience towards God. Listen to the rebuke of Isaiah to Israel. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. You read that and you think, well, then why did you tell him to do it? God's problem isn't with the bulls or the lambs or the goats. God's problem is with their hearts. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. That's his problem. His problem is the, the, the nature in which they bring these offerings as mere outward expressions, void of any inward affection. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity solemn assembly, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates, says the Lord. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my face from you. Even though you may make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. These are people who are, who are making the sacrifice. They're, they're bringing the sacrifices to the Lord. They think they're doing all that is required. And God says, I've had enough of it. When you turn towards me, I won't even look. When you pray to me, I won't even listen. I've had enough of it. But God is gracious. And so he lovingly rebukes them and tells them what it is that he requires of them. Verse 16, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. 
Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This is unbelievable, good gospel news. Your sacrifices, your religious works, those things, I've had enough of them. What I want is you. I want your heart. I want your affections. I want your obedience. I want your, you to obey, to seek justice. I want you. So would you, even though you don't deserve it, would you draw near and let us reason together? I will forgive your sins. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. God never desired these works of the laws. What he wanted is our hearts. That's the second contrast. This is his desire. Psalm 51. You will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. This is David called in his sin. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. And so what do we see in Christ Jesus? If we see in the law the inability to perfect us. What do we see in Christ? In Christ, we see a body prepared. God in His grace prepared a body for Christ who would do what we could never do. Perfectly keep God's will and then offer, not a bull, not a goat, but Himself out of a deep love for the Father. But a body you have prepared for me, verse 6. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you, neither, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He, Christ, does away with the first in order to establish the second. Christ did not come with burnt offerings or sacrifices. Christ came with obedience. Christ came with the very thing that God desired the most. A heart of devotion and a life of perfect obedience. And because His life was one of obedience to the law, and because His sacrifice was His very own body, He does away with the need for all of these other sacrifices. He completed fully in His body by His sacrifice all that the law could never do. And there is now a better sacrifice. A real form. Not a shadow but a substance. Not the blood of bulls and goats as substitutes that never forgive, but a holy blood shed for sinful man to appease the anger and the wrath of God. What are the contrasts that we see? We see a shadow versus a substance. We see a sacrifice that could never make perfect versus one that could and then we see a standing priest versus a sitting Savior. Picking up in verse 10. And by that, we have all been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. What's these Old Testament priests doing? They are standing daily offering sacrifice. There is for them no time for rest. There is no reprieve. Why? Because the sacrifices that they offered could never stop because they were never enough. 
those sacrifices were rendered void by the very next sin. And so you have a standing priest standing in the service over and over and over again offering sacrifices versus a seated Savior. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. The substance, the true substance has come. And his one sacrifice was enough. And because of that, he is now at rest, seated at the right hand of God. And he and his sacrifice alone is sufficient. Sufficient to do what? Sufficient to sanctify. This is verse 10. And by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We have been sanctified. This is a a big churchy word, not one that we use in, in our everyday vernacular. Um, it, it, it means to, to be sanctified means to be made holy. That's what it means. To be made perfect before God. To be sac- sanctified means where once you stood condemned, guilty, sinful before God. Now... If you're sanctified, you've been made holy. You're approved. You're innocent. You are sinless before Him. That's that's sanctification. This this word here, having um, been sanctified, we have been sanctified. It's in in, in the Greek... It's a, it's a perfect participle with a finite verb. Jacob, come tell us what that means. No. Um, what it does, what it does in, in the Greek, what it does is it shows in the strongest possible way that believers continue with a permanent salvation. Now, I made a C in Greek. I just barely got through it, got my diploma. But I, I learned in, you know, maybe what, the second grade? The, the tenses of English. And, and we can see it, right? You don't have to be a Greek scholar to see it. What tense is it? And we have been sanctified. That's past tense. That means that this has already happened to us. In Christ Jesus, because of His sacrifice, according to our faith, by the grace of God, we have been sanctified. Past tense already happened. What this verse means is that through one act, In one moment, through one offering, Jesus produced a permanent sanctification for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. In that moment, the great requirement of the law that could never be met by us was freely given to us. Leviticus chapter 11 verse 44, For I am the Lord your God, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. That's the, that's the whole of the law summed up in one phrase. Be holy, because I am holy. And what it showed us is that we can't do it. But what Christ Jesus did in one sacrifice, fully did what the law could never do. He made us holy. No bull or goat or priest could ever do that. 
only Christ. To be sanctified means that our sins are no longer remembered by God. What good news. I don't know about you, but I can't seem to forget them. I'm like David. They are always before me. But by the grace of God, according to the sacrifice of Jesus, God Himself, the Holy God, He no longer counts us as sinful in Christ. And He doesn't even remember our sins in Christ. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after these, those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. In Christ Jesus, no longer is the law written on external tablets. No longer is it external performances. Now it's internal. The law, by the grace of God, is on our hearts And He will no longer remember our sins and our lawless deeds. They are forgiven. Where there is forgiveness of these things, verse 18, there is no longer any offering for sin. Sanctification is now confirmed. But it's also continued. And here's the paradox that's built up in the gospel. And here's the paradox that is in these verses. That we are in Christ in one moment for all time made holy before God. We have been sanctified. That's what it says, past tense. But look at verse 14. For by a single offering He has perfected for all those, for all time, those who are being sanctified. So how do we make sense of it? How can we have been sanctified, but how can we are being sanctified? Well, the good news of the work of Jesus confirms for us a permanent, past, positional sanctification. That at one moment, by faith, for all time, we are declared holy before God. But it also enables for us a continued sanctification. The living out of the holiness that we've been given. What the sacrifice of Jesus does is that it enables us now because we've been born again, because we're a new creation, because now the law is written on our hearts, now we have the ability through the indwelling of the Spirit to do the very thing that God desires. And that is to love Him with our hearts. He takes out our heart of stone incapable of loving Him because of our sin. Sanctifies us. Puts in a heart of flesh. Causes us to be born again. A new creation. In the image and likeness of Jesus being transformed into Him. Not externally, but internally. And now, by the grace of God, the indwelling of the Spirit, we can in our lives daily be transformed into the image of Jesus by holy living. What was once impossible to please God was impossible. To be approved by Him, it was impossible. To honor Him with our hearts. Because of our sin, impossible is now possible. We are made holy, a sanctification confirmed by a better, more sufficient sacrifice. We are made holy 
to live holy. We are made holy to live holy through the holy life and the death of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. That's Hebrews chapter 1. Father, would you help us not just have some intellectual understanding of these verses. We certainly do want to come to your word, and we want to know what it means. We want to understand it. We want to see it clearly. We want to see how the old works with the, the new. We want to see how these, these, these Old Testament sacrificial systems, we want to see why they were put in place and what it is they showed and what it is they could not do. And we want to see how there stands one who casts that shadow, Jesus Christ, the substance of these real things, and how he fulfills all of those requirements for us and then graciously gives us his very life of, of holiness. We want to be able to come to these verses and see that and make sense of it. But God, we do not want to be like the, the Israelites and stop there. We want to, when we see the glory of the gospel, we want to love you, to have affection for you, to live in obedience to you, to have our sins forgiven, our greatest need. But now live in a way that honors you for your glory. Would these be more than words on a page? Would they be written on our hearts? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.